Well, good morning to you. I have a test. I want to see how observant you are. How many of you notice that I am not Pastor Stuart Williams? <laughs> Excellent. Okay, you're with me. Unfortunately, our pastor has been ill for the last week or so. He's starting to feel better, but still a little poorly. And I have the privilege of uh, sharing God's Word with you this morning. I'm Pastor Doug, or Pastor Doug Cooney. Some of you know me, some of you may not. Uh, I'm one of the retired ministers who make Skyview their home. And I have the privilege of leading some Bible studies and attending staff meetings and occasionally filling in in the preaching rota. So uh, it's a great privilege for me. I spent 26 years as a pastor, 13 years as a hospital chaplain, and now I'm not sure what I am. I think I'm retired and just enjoying life. So it is good. God is good. All right. Well, let's turn to the Word of God this morning in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, turn to that. If you don't, that's fine. Look on your phone or just look on the screen. And uh, we're going to pray together, and then I'm going to share 15 verses from the 16th chapter of Acts, and then some thoughts upon those. So let's pray. Living God, by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see the new light of this day. Open our lips to tell of the empty tomb. Open our hearts to believe the good news through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Acts chapter 16. In verse 1, Paul went on also to Derbe and to Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and had him circumcised because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went from town to town, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia... They went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia, pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen this vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. And when she and her husband were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you've judged me to be a faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. The word of the Lord. I remember well in churches and camp meetings and gatherings where I have been, when a speaker like me would come to the platform open his notes or her notes 
and then say what to me were sometimes terrifying words. I sense God telling me that the message I prepared for today is not the message I need to preach today. That always frightened me just a little bit. Usually said in a religious voice, which has to be deep, of course. At which point the notes would be set aside and all too often, I'm afraid, not always, but all too often, what was then preached seemed to be anything but inspired or inspiring. So I'm not going to say that this morning. But I do need to tell you that what I am going to preach is not what I wrote this past Wednesday. <laughs> On Thursday morning, as I was having a quiet cup of coffee and reading the scripture portion for today and thinking about it, I asked God if the message I had written was the right one. And to be honest, it just didn't feel right. I don't know if you've ever had that sense. It just, it just didn't feel right. My wife Linda had read it and, and offered some some typographical corrections and, and, and okayed it. <laughs> and I looked at it and thought, yep, that, that, that's, that's not too shabby. But then as I sat there in my living room, it just wasn't right. And then I said, what now? You're kidding, God. Really? The sermon I had written was about open and closed doors and God guiding us and directing us. And then wouldn't you know, he did. <laughs> so I read and I prayed and I thought and I studied throughout Thursday and Thursday evening. And on Friday morning, this message almost wrote itself. And so what I have to offer to you and to God this morning is not what I thought I would be offering to you and to God this morning on Wednesday evening. And I sincerely hope and pray that the words encouraged and challenge you. And that God will be honored in what I say and, and pleased with it. Because it's what I believe God wants me to give to you this morning from the book of Acts. Mike Lodel is a professor of theology at Northwest Nazarene College in Nampa, Idaho. He's the author of a number of books, but my favorite book by Dr. Lodel is The Story of God. And Prof. Lodel states that human beings are storytellers and story listeners. We love to tell stories and we love to hear stories told. We read our children stories when they go to bed. We trade stories around the campfire or the dinner table. We ask the elders in our midst sometimes to share their story. And when I was a hospital chap on my approach to a new patient was often, tell me about yourself. Tell me your story. Many of us love to read stories. I certainly do. We're a story-loving and a story-sharing people, Dr. Little says. And the overall theme of this wonderful book is that the Bible is God's story, told to us over centuries by prophet, priest, scribe, and bard, it holds the stories of God, tells us about God, is inspired by God to reveal who God is and how we can join in his story and be a part of his story because he invites us all to do so. Long before they were bound in leather and even longer before they were enshrined in bits and bites on phones and laptops and tablets, 
The story of God was told orally around the campfires and around the, the homes in ancient times. In the clandestine meetings of the early Christian church, fragments of the story were read and told and shared and passed around. Men and women, storytellers and guardians of the story told and retold the story of God to others again and again and again. From campfire tales to the miracle plays of the Middle Ages to the dramas and movies of today. The story of God has been and continues to be told and retold and retold and retold. The story of God is as ancient as history and as recent as the TV news at six. Being able to own your own copy or copies of the scriptures is a relatively new phenomena, something fairly current. Sometimes we take it for granted reading our Bibles openly in public, in the park, or in our homes, or in a service of worship, as a blessing and a gift not enjoyed in many world areas today, even. The story of God is ancient. Ancient as history. Modern as now. Relevant, restorative, prophetic, and profound. Dr. Lodl says that Christians have often been heard singing, tell me the old, old story. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. The scripture reading from the book of Acts for this Sunday records a part of the story of God. Actually, two short stories. The first about Paul and some of his friends journeying and traveling around the area we know as Asia Minor or Asia today, Turkey. And a second story about a wonderful woman named Lydia, a businesswoman, a successful woman, a woman who had made her place, and a woman who met Paul on the riverbank outside the Greek city of Philippi. We have the gift of hindsight in the 21st century. We have a vantage point that others did not have. But to Paul and his companions and to Lydia and to her household in Philippi, the story was brand new. They'd never heard it before. Perhaps confusing, disturbing, puzzling. Not ancient history to be learned, but current history to be lived. So sit back this morning and let me tell you a couple of stories. In Acts 16, 1 through 10, which I won't reread in the interest of time, we have the first story. It's often called by those of us who spend some time uh, studying the Scriptures, the Macedonian Call. It's a nice fancy name. Macedonia is just another name for northern Greece now. It's a story about choices, about frustrations, about obedience, about God's plan and his willingness and ability to guide, about open doors and closed doors. Sometimes we can become frustrated, worried, and afraid. Maybe you never do, but I certainly do. Nervous, even annoyed when we find ourselves in the middle of a story and we don't know how it ends. Now, that's exciting in a novel, 
but it's not so exciting in our lives. We want to know how the story ends. I have a friend of mine who always reads the last chapter of a book before he or she reads the next, the first chapter. <laughs> I really do question that. Terrible thing. Well, anyways, that's their problem. No, that's their thing. However, we don't share in how the story ends. We're not omniscient, which is the theological $10 word for all-knowing. God is. God knows the beginning from the end of your life and my life and our church's life and the world's life. He's not surprised. But we don't know that. We may have an idea how we want the story to end. Usually the hero or heroine we would like to play in the story. And everyone wants a happily ever after ending. If only our lives began with once upon a time and always ended happily ever after. Oh, that it were so, but it is not so. Sometimes it is. Thanks be to God. We have freedom of choice. I'm a big person on freedom of choice. That's what sets us as Wesleyans apart from some other approaches to the Christian faith. Not making it better, making it different. Those of us who walk and try to walk in the steps of John Wesley believe that we are born with free choice, free will. We can choose. We make choices. I love choices, but I also have a hobby horse that I like to ride every opportunity that I get, and I'm going to climb on him for a moment, and that is that every choice has consequences. Everything we decide to do or not do has implications and consequences for our lives and sometimes for the lives of others. God made us with the ability to make choices. Our freely impacted cho choices will impact how the story ends, how the story plays out, the part we will play. But back to Paul and Timothy, Silas. They were faced with a number of choices as they traveled through that area. This was the second of three missionary journeys that Paul set out on after he encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road. He'd made this trip once in this area, and churches had been planted. This is his second journey. This time he doesn't take a man named John Mark with him because they had a little falling out. But he takes Silas with him. And a young man named Timothy. Timothy, who Paul called later in one of his letters, my child in the faith. A little later, as the change in voice in verse 10 and 11, I'd like you to look at that sometime. Take a look at 10 and 11. There's a really interesting biblical change there. Up until verse 10 of our passage, the writer talks about they and them and him and they. But at verse 10, he suddenly begins to use the pronoun we. And so the thought is that at Troas, a port city on the Aegean Sea, another person joined with Paul and Timothy and Silas. Very likely Luke, who wrote the gospel that bears his name and the book of Acts. For suddenly, the narrator of the story changes from third person to first person. And says, we went from Troas. Dr. Luke, a Greek, a medical doctor, they think. 
probably trained in Philippi because Philippi was the center of medical knowledge at that time in that area. So for some reason, somehow, Dr. Luke joined the other three and they climbed aboard a ship and they sailed from Troas towards the north of Greece. The four missionaries, chosen and led by God, were God instruments to take the gospel message of Jesus into what we now call Europe. Very first time it happened. Up until that time, the gospel and the story of Jesus had been something in the Middle East, in Asia. But with this event that we have before us this morning, they move into Europe, to Greece, and from Europe, further north, and across the English Channel, and across the Atlantic Ocean, eventually, years and years in the future. So this is a very important story. Verses 1 to 10 are filled with decisions, with what might be called open and closed doors, with puzzling roadblocks and more intriguing visions, but also with the guiding and leading of God's Holy Spirit. The choices and the plans that Paul laid were sometimes frustrated and blocked. The Spirit stopped them from going here. The Spirit of Jesus stopped them going there. Don't understand how that all worked, but it did, and it happens today. But when the Spirit of God or the closed door came, it seems to me that Paul and his friends were not suffering the paralysis of analysis. They prayed and waited till another door opened and walked through that, or in this case, sailed. We have this interesting story of the vision of a man or a Greek from Damascus who appeared to Paul in a vision or a dream. Interesting how God speaks to us. So by foot and by ship, the story was written as the hands of God corrected and led and guided. It was and is a story that was figuratively written in the suffering and the blood of the martyrs over the centuries. Men and women who were willing to lay down their life for the story. God writes the story. He knows the beginning from the end. Nothing surprises him. And we each are called and privileged to not only be authors of the story, but to be actors and players within the story. And we're writing a story right here at Skyview. Isn't that interesting? Do you ever think of yourself as an author? Hard work being an author sometimes. Lonely work sometimes being an author. Exciting work. Fulfilling work. And so I ask you this morning, what is God writing in and with your life? How can your story mesh and enhance the story of God? For God is writing the story, his story, here at Skyview, on the North Hill of Calgary, in your home, in your workplace, in your classroom. Are you willing to work and write with God, to be a part of the great story, to join in the missionary train of which Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke were a part, to participate, to cooperate? with the story of God. Would you, would I be willing to lay down our hopes and our dreams, our future, maybe our life, to share the story of God with others?
God's invitation is to come and be part of his story. And when you do, it'll be your story too. But there's a second story, a wonderfully interesting story in verses 11 through 15. Lodl writes again in his book, and I quote, according to biblical faith, God reveals himself through certain events in history, events in which he is actively laboring to lead human beings to a saving relationship with himself, a relationship which indeed has its ultimate goal in the redemption of the entire created world, the coming, if you will, of the kingdom of God, for which we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So let's turn to the second story for a few moments in Acts 16. Story of transformation and salvation, of redemption, of a successful businesswoman named Lydia and her entire household. Paul loved to tell the story of Jesus and his love. And it's this story that he shared with Lydia down by the riverside. Yeah. Because there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. If there had been 10 Jewish men in the city of Philippi, they would have had a synagogue because you had to have 10 men to have a synagogue. Sorry, ladies, it was a very paternalistic time. But you had to have 10 men. So there was a very small Jewish population, no synagogue. But when that happened, history tells us that the Jewish people would then find a place, usually by flowing water, a river, a stream, a creek where they could perform the washings they needed to do in order to worship. And so, outside the city walls of Philippi was a river, and on the river bank on that Saturday morning, Sabbath morning, Lydia and some others met to pray and to worship God. Lydia was not a Jew. She was a God-seeker, we're told. She was probably... Uh, I'm going to use the word pagan, and that's a loaded word. I don't mean it as negatively as it sounds. She was an unbeliever, if you will. And yet she was intrigued, we think, by the God of Israel in comparison to the other gods of the time. And so she was a God-seeker. And she and some others, it appears to be all ladies. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever thought about it, men? The fact that so often in the scriptures, it's the women who cut the way, who lead the way. Isn't that wonderful? I'm not sure where the church sort of got it wrong in history and decided that ladies could maybe only serve Kool-Aid. No, never mind. That's, that's a whole other message. I won't go there. But the leaders, the cutting edge of the early church were women. Mary, who saw Jesus when he first rose from the dead. And who's the first convert in Europe? Lydia. Amazing. Thank God for women. The story had its beginning in the story of Jesus that Paul shared with Lydia down by the riverside. It's a story that crossed mountains and plains and hills and valleys and oceans and was shared not always in the best way, not always in the fairest way, not always in the most successful way, but hopefully with a good heart and a, certainly a good intention, and people came to believe in Jesus. The story of God is not one chapter or one book or even a series. It's a library of stories, shelves and shelves and shelves, if you will, to use the metaphor of books. It's an ongoing story still being written 
in 2022 in Calgary and around the world. Through Paul's vision of a man from Macedonia, he actually met a woman in Macedonia who came to faith and started the ball rolling through all of Europe and around the world. The Holy Spirit brought Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke together with this little group of God-fearing Gentiles and Jews on the outskirts of Philippi because a new chapter was about to be written. Our second story is a story of new beginnings and transformed lives. It's a story that continues today. Paul and his friends were obedient and daring and creative and committed, guided and empowered by the Spirit of God, just as all of us can be and hopefully are. Lydia was curious, open, and hungry to know more of God. The Holy Spirit was with Lydia long before Paul and Silas and the boys showed up. The provenient grace of God was at work in her life, preparing the soil, preparing her heart for what Paul and his friends would share. Lydia was perhaps intrigued by the God of Israel, a God so different to the God she knew. Her heart was prepared and ready, and God's grace had been present and was present and continued to be present. She was successful. She was alone, as far as we can tell. She was a woman in a world where women were not given the respect that they ought to have been given, perhaps. That's a cultural issue. But God met her down by the riverside through the obedience of Paul and his friends. And the Lord, we are told, opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. And then we are told that she and her household were baptized. And she urged them, saying, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay in my home. And immediately she began to minister and to share. Amazing story. Strong woman, for it says she prevailed upon us. Paul, Silas, go stay at our house. And they did. And the story continues and continued. So, friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, what do we learn from these parts of God's story this morning? What's the takeaway? Because it's important we have a takeaway for us here in Calgary in 2022. How can we participate today in the ancient but ever new story that God is writing? The truth of the matter is we're already part of it. The fact that you are here this morning indicates to God, to me, to the world that you are part of the story already. And even those who are not able to be here, those who have not chosen perhaps to be here yet, even though they do not know it, are part of the story. Because the whole world is part of God's story and nobody and nothing is excluded. It's an amazing story. Before we knew him, God imagined us into the story. Like Paul before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Like Timothy when he was growing up with his godly Jewish mother and his Greek father. Like Dr. Luke when he was studying medicine in Philippi. And like Lydia when she was living in Thyatira, building her business and becoming a successful businesswoman. They and we are already part of the story if we'll only realize it. If we'll only own it. God's grace is at work in each of you this morning. Don't doubt it. 
You can, I was going to say bet on it, but I better not say that. You can depend on it. Maybe you're a Lydia today. Maybe. Maybe you're a Lydia, and you need to respond to the invitation to open up and be part of the story. Maybe you're a Paul or a Silas or a Timothy or a Luke, and you need to look for those open doors that allow you to share the story with someone else. But know this. Of this, I'm sure. On this, you can depend. God's story is still being written, and he's writing it right here, right with us, right where you live. And you are part of the story if you'll only recognize it. You're on the list of characters. In fact, you're one of the authors. God writes his story anew every day, new every morning. And we're part of the story. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you. Thank you for the story that you have written and are writing. Thank you that we are part of the story already. Help us to recognize that, to own it, to revel in the fact that we are part of your great and wonderful story. And help your church, Skyview and other churches, other groups of believers around the city, around the country, around the world, to recognize that in your hands, they can be part and authors of what you're writing today. In Jesus' name, amen.